Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. This week on Indie Matters, intern Tabitha Mueller talks with Ray Gherkin with Nevada Legal Services about evictions and proceedings regarding evictions in the state during this pandemic. After that, intern Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez and I call up Dr. Frank Lemus, a therapist here in Nevada, that talks to us about how people are dealing with the stress of the pandemic and social isolation and gives us some tips on how to deal with it. And at the end of the episode, Joey and I go over some free resources online to help you get through quarantine, from our favorite YouTube channels to some free games to play online with your family over Zoom. But before any of that, we want to give you a quick update on what's going on with COVID-19 in Nevada. As of Friday morning, there were 535 confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus statewide, including 443 cases in Clark County alone. A handful of new cases in the rurals now mean the virus has spread to eight of the state's 17 counties. There are also reports this week that the virus is spreading to some especially vulnerable groups, including confirmed cases in Nevada prisons and Las Vegas homeless shelter. Those reported cases come as local governments are increasingly squeezed by the ongoing economic catastrophe brought on by the coronavirus. At a meeting this week, officials with the city of Reno said revenues could, at a minimum, take a $20 million hit in the next fiscal year. The economic crisis has hit Nevada particularly hard. Jobless claims surged to 93,000 last week, more than 40 times the number of claims made during the first week of March. Those numbers come as Congress scrambles to pass a $2 trillion stimulus package meant to stop the bleeding for now. All of this is only the half of it. There was also a move by state election officials to shift to an all-male vote for this summer's primaries and an ongoing social media fight over Governor Steve Sisolak's decision to ban certain prescriptions for a pair of drugs President Trump says could help fight coronavirus infections. For our complete coverage of the coronavirus, including a live blog covering all of the most recent developments and a thorough resource guide if you've been impacted by the pandemic, head to the NevadaIndependent.com. My name is Ray Gerken. I am the directing attorney of the Reno Office of Nevada Legal Services. And Nevada Legal Services is the only statewide provider of legal services in the state of Nevada. We have offices across the state, including in Las Vegas, Reno, Carson City, Yarrington, and Elko. It is part of our mission to provide free legal services to qualifying um, Nevadans in every county. We are providing services essentially to poor and other um, communities such as seniors and veterans uh, across the state. And what have you been seeing so far with rent and what are you seeing right now in your offices? So we are currently working remotely and the majority of what we are seeing right now are issues regarding evictions. So most of the people calling in are asking, I got an eviction notice, what do I do? I don't understand, can I be evicted? And that's, you know, the majority of what we are looking at. I think a lot of the confusion comes from the fact that different courts have different rules right now. Is that correct? That is correct. It's been sort of piecemeal since this started. So each court is adopting its own rules. And those rules are not only varying in language, but in practice. So in the Reno Justice Court, they issued a a rule that basically said they were going to not issue default eviction orders. Now, what that means is that because they're closed, you can only file electronically. So if a tenant gets an eviction notice, they have to file first electronically in Reno. And then the court has indicated that it 
may or will or likely schedule a hearing that would then be telephonic or via video. Now, in order to have that hearing, the tenant has to, one, have reliable access to a phone or the internet um, in order to be able to connect with the court to have the hearing. And then if the judge finds that the tenant should be evicted, is the court going to enter a lockout order that would essentially operate to make the tenant have to move. It's it's really unclear what the actual process is and what's sort of been accepted as filing during this time. Now, in Elko, for instance, the administrative order actually stays all evictions for 30 days. Las Vegas Justice Court was also, and this is where the confusion, I think, lies, is the Las Vegas Justice Court language was also very, very similar to the Reno Justice Court language. But the Las Vegas Justice Court was reading that very differently in essentially saying that internally the court would not schedule hearings. It seems that courts are interpreting these orders very differently and it's all based on the court's own internal process and understanding of how it's gonna operate. And while it's great that they're not going to lock out tenants or order tenants to be evicted without holding a hearing right now, I mean, that is obviously super important. It's just very unclear whether or not people should be filing things right now. Is it really a stay? And what happens if somebody doesn't file because they think there's a stay and then the court lifts the stay? What happens then? And the Reno Justice Court um, has indicated that it will review their order at least within 30 days, but there's no end date. There's no like 30-day stay of evictions in Reno. I think it just means that there's just going to be more confusion in a time where I'm not so sure that the coronavirus infection spreading has even ended. And then let's talk about Reno for a little bit. What What's actually going on and what do we know right now? So unfortunately, I don't know pretty much everything. It is our understanding that lockout orders are not being issued currently. It is also understanding that filings are being accepted. It It's kind of up in the air. I, I, I unfortunately cannot provide any current clarity. Everything is still so new. Right. So it's almost like those hearings, they could happen, they could not happen, and but there's always that possibility. It's not yes, been closed right entirely. Now. Yes, right. correct. And then when we're talking about rights for rent payment delayed or forgiven, how might those rights shift during this pandemic or state of emergency? And what rights do people have that maybe they should know about? Right now, basically, the rental agreement is a contract between the landlord and the tenant. And there's a whole lot of legal authority that prohibits, obviously, the Constitution prohibits states from impairing contracts. Now, there's a lot of legal authority that does allow states to potentially issue laws that might impair a contract, but it's very much um, limited to situations like this. I mean, obviously, because it's a contract between a tenant and a landlord, that can be renegotiated on the written agreement of both parties. So any landlord and any tenant at this moment can certainly renegotiate their rental agreement as long as both parties agree in writing. So that, that's always part of contract law. Now, what's different is there are some hoops to jump through if a state were going to enact a law that said that tenants did not have to, say, pay rent. Basically, it does change when there's a declaration of an emergency. And potentially, a state could issue rent cancellations or deferments 
as long as they don't amount to a taking, essentially, of the landlord's property. And it does definitely require some consideration, and it has to be essentially tailored to the emergency and and sort of, you know, what's going on right now. Let's go back to Las Vegas for a second. And in Las Vegas, they have that stay on evictions. Can now, one thing that I think sometimes gets confusing is there are people that are living in, say, weekly motels, or they're living in an apartment, and right now they're out of a job. They get that eviction notice. Can people kick them out of their apartments during this time, or are there, is there, are there protections in place for them? So right now, there are protections in place. The, certainly the pro- prohibition on the default evictions right now would protect somebody from getting evicted at this point in time where they were unable to respond to the eviction notice. So that is the main protection. Other than that, if they have a normal legal defense. So the deadlines of the eviction laws are currently suspended based on the order. But if you say have a habitability problem with your landlord or you know, there's some other defense that you have to the actual rent that the landlord is saying is due. All normal eviction defenses still apply, even if you were to file. But as far as simply getting an eviction notice at this point in time, that would fall under these administrative orders that the courts are issuing and whether or not they're going to be holding eviction hearings or evicting individuals if they do or do not contest the eviction. It's interesting because all these courts have these different rules. So here in Reno, if you got an eviction notice right now and you followed through with what you were supposed to do, or as far as you know what you're supposed to do, could your landlord come through and say, you need to leave now because I gave you seven days notice and this is it? Or... Right. So there is no self... self Self-help evictions are um, prohibited in Nevada. So a landlord cannot force a tenant out of the unit without a court order. So in that way, that's why the court is so central to this. Nothing, though, stops a tenant right now, once they get that notice of fearing eviction and feeling like they have to move. The landlord can't force the tenant out without a court order. That's prohibited under NRS 118A. And so, and that's something that might be right now as people are living in, say, weekly motels and they just don't know these rules and these laws. Is that a concern for you guys? Yes, absolutely. And and that's also part of the problem with these ad hoc orders. You know, how getting the word out to, to tenants is really important right now. And I don't think it's happening on any really good scale in terms of what the court's new processes are, what's happening with evictions. And so I don't think people understand what their rights are. And we are trying to do that by having the information available on our website. But, you know, it is it is really important that people understand that if they get an eviction notice, they do have the right to contest that in court. Now, unfortunately, if people are unable to pay, say, you know, we're coming up, April rent is going to start becoming due next week. Right. Um, and then people obviously in weeklies have to pay rent weekly. If they lose their job and now are unable to start paying rent, right now, there is no sort of 
statewide or even local prohibition on the landlord issuing an eviction notice. And so what happens after that is really the concern because on the one hand, if there is a defense to the eviction, say your landlord hasn't fixed um, your water heater and you don't have hot water, there are laws under NRS 118A that you can use to withhold rent legally. If you do that, obviously that's a legal defense. And the problem though right now is, is the court saying file and we're going to have a hearing and then maybe the judge determines that that isn't a good enough defense. If the tenant files and the court rejects it, then I think clearly, you know, what happens if the landlord then goes and files their complaint? Does that also get rejected? And then if it's held in the abeyance until after the stay, what happens then? I think it's a really big problem for people even understanding what the rules are right now and then what's going to happen when the stay is lifted, you know, notwithstanding the fact that people can't pay rent right now. I mean, people are losing their jobs. Businesses have been closed and there's no clear understanding from the federal government what's going to happen to support people as we go through this crisis. When we're thinking about this, is there a law that might give the government, uh, the state of Nevada, the ability to shift this like a part of their emergency orders or something like that that you might know of? So the Nevada Emergency Powers Act gives the governor the ability to issue emergency orders. And one of the things that it actually says in the emergency powers, I'm going to get the exact language. It's NRS 414.070 section 7. So the governor has um, broad authority to perform and exercise such other functions, powers, and duties as are necessary to promote and secure the safety and protection of the civilian population. So that's a pretty broad outline of the governor's authority under the Emergency Management Act to actually say, in order to protect the civilian population, we have to stop the ability of landlords to issue eviction notices, which will then cause the displacement of people that could spread the virus because they're unsheltered, they're not housed, they have to move, they're interacting with people on a much greater scale. And then there's also the issue of property left behind and who has to pack up all of their belongings. And you know, we haven't talked about the coronavirus being spread by existing on, say, cardboard boxes or other people's property and it creates a situation where just letting people stay in their homes is much more impactful for what we're going through right now than allowing people to be displaced and potentially spread this pandemic virus to the entire community. I'm not sure if you would know the answer to this, but a lot of mom and pop kind of landlords have expressed concerns that this new trend would have unintended consequences, pushing property owners behind on their own payments as they too kind of grapple with these financial and health implications of the virus. How would the rights of small property owners need to be considered when we're talking about drawing up these executive actions or declarations of rent mortgage moratoriums? And that's exactly what we're looking at, is including mortgage moratoriums in addition to the rent moratoriums. One of the things that local governments can do is property tax um, abatements. So I think that that goes hand in hand in understanding that, you know, smaller landlords that need this income to, say, pay their own mortgage, if we give them mortgages, you know, relief, then that's much more likely to allow them the ability um, to allow the renters relief. If they don't have to make their payments, then the renters 
obviously wouldn't need to make theirs. Most of the proposals that I've seen regarding the the mortgage moratoriums right now, for, you know, foreclosure moratoriums is including all mortgages, whether it's owner-occupied or renter-occupied. And I think that will go a long way into helping alleviate the concerns of small landlords is just making this a holistic approach. You know, we're all in this together. We're all part of the same communities that have to deal with this. And I don't think that one precludes assisting the other, that if we can come from, you know, a much more overarching sort of scheme to say, this is an issue. We don't want people displaced. We are going to help everybody who's in this chain from local governments providing, you know, more shelter space to the unsheltered from people who are renting out one, two or three homes that, you know, we understand that this is a problem and and everything is sort of needs to work together. One thing that I was thinking about is so much of this is between the landlord and the tenant and the contract that they have drawn. If somebody gets laid off, if somebody has an issue, should their first action be to maybe talk with their landlord if they feel comfortable to do that? Is that one of the better ways to go about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it's extremely important that landlords and tenants communicate with each other. I I definitely think that reaching out to your landlord to see whether or not there might be some way to negotiate your own deferment or, you know, try to come up with a renegotiation of the rent. A lot of things can be easily dealt with just by having a conversation with somebody. So I definitely would urge everyone to reach out and see if something can't be done to, you know, provide some certainty. <laughs> Again, if you get that change in writing, then, you know, there, there is no more uncertainty. You know what your rights and responsibilities are. You know what your landlord's going to do and not do. And then last question for me, unless there's something else that you think I should touch on or ask you about, is a lot of people are comparing some of the situations that we're seeing now to the 2008 uh, Great Recession, right? When we're, like, did you see issues like this increase during that time? Is that something that you navigated or are you unfamiliar with that situation? The difference is that we don't we didn't have a pandemic where the mass displacement of people while it extremely affects the local communities and the economics you know stability of a community and, and even who our neighbors are we didn't have the extra added risk of people spreading a virus that is killing people and so you know i think it's it is that but on a larger scale the likes of which i don't even know if you know we've truly seen everything that's going to happen. And, and so, you know, it's mostly the the difference with there were the mass foreclosures. Now, we haven't seen a ton of foreclosures right now. Again, you know, this is basically all sort of starting to come up as payments start becoming due over the next couple of weeks, what's going to happen. But I think that, you know, it was extremely impactful to the you know, overall housing um, market and the economy in 2008, 2009, and obviously, you know, onward without having this added risk of, you know, stopping people from being able to move and to travel and to look for other employment and, you know, sell their house or move somewhere else. So I just, I think it's a scale that's going to be vastly different from them. Absolutely. All right, well, Ray, thank you so much for talking to me today. Is there anything else that you think maybe I should know or listeners should know um, that maybe we didn't touch on right now? I know it's frustrating. I just I just hope that we're all going to get through this as a community. 
Exactly. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day and thank you so much. No problem, Tabitha. Thank you. All right, so we are here with Dr. Frank Lemus, um, and you are a, a therapist and also here with uh, reporter Jasmine Orozco. How's it going, you guys? Good. We're doing well. Thank oh, go you ahead. for inviting me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And of course, practicing our good social distancing, we're doing this over Zoom. But Jasmine, you think you have some questions for uh, Dr. Lemus, right? I do. Uh, so my first question for you, Dr. Lemus, is... What kind of change of pace have you seen in your practice since the COVID-19 outbreak? You know, have, besides having to switch to remote sessions with your clients, have you seen an increase or a decrease in your appointments? And have you seen a greater urgency in your clients? You know, Jasmine, I see more of an urgency. The thing is that many of my clients aren't used to doing remote sessions. So that's different for the younger kids. It's not a big deal for them. For the younger kids, I mean, they can be on their phone, they can be walking around, it's just like second nature to them. But whenever I do the adults, that becomes a little bit more difficult for them because for them, this is like, you know, we always talk about computer natives as, as opposed to computer immigrants. And like for most of us, we're like computer immigrants. For the kids, they're more like computer natives. I mean, this is like their backyard. And for me, it, it, it took me a while, actually, when I decided to close the office for safety for everybody. It took me a while just to figure out how to go back and do what I'd done before. Even the camera that I used didn't work. But when I went to Best Buys, they were out of all cameras, all webcams. They were done. There was nothing, nothing on the shelf. So for me, it was just kind of hard to just kind of reorient. But the, the fear, I think, with the clients that I'm working with, it's there. There's no question about it. It exaggerates some of the other stuff that they were dealing with before because many of them were dealing with a lot of issues of anxiety. They were dealing with issues about with parents. They were dealing with issues with their children. And this has just exacerbated the idea that their children are in danger and that their parents are in danger. So in addition to what the the concerns that you just mentioned right now, what, uh, what other concerns or worries are your clients struggling with right now? What are you hearing from them? You know, whenever I think of this health crisis with the COVID-19, I use an acronym that I use in my practice. And it's called, and I use the acronym Retain Sanity in a way that it reminds me to touch base with all my clients involving how they're going to retain or how they were going to regain their mental health. And almost all of these areas are the areas that I deal with with my clients. And so I usually start, for me, the sanity, like the S in sanity, is really about safety. And almost all of my clients that I deal with struggle with issues involving just safety, the sense of feeling protected and the sense of feeling secure. And right now, that's probably the one area that is of greatest concern for most people is the area of feeling safe and secure and protected. And in a lot of ways, part of the way that I provide the safety for them or get them to focus on safety is to not spend so much time on the cable news channels to really focus more on the factual information, like whether you do it through the CDC or the NIH, which is the National Institute for Health, or the WHO, which is the World Health Organization. 
I have them focus on those three areas if they really want to get factual information. And that gives them a little bit greater sense of safety rather than having to decide if they're going to depend on the leaders politically because a lot of times they don't get the accurate information. They can't trust it. So I have them do that to be able to create some safety for themselves, right? Um, the other thing that I do in, in, in the sanity model that I used, I use the A as acceptance, a sense of acceptance, right? And that's to be able to consider people's feelings, that at this time, people are experiencing a number of emotions that it's hard to grab a hold of. And for them to have a sense that their, their feelings do matter, that they are, their feelings are valuable, but to understand that feelings are feelings. You know, they're not necessarily truth. They are just emotions that we can change by the way we think about things and the way we present things. The N is really about the nurturance. And I talk to them a lot about this sense of feeling, you know, not feeling alone, uh, the sense of knowing that they need something that fills them up. You really do need to focus on what you eat and how you sleep and how you move. And those are the important things that you have to be able to get some exercise. You have to be able to focus on eating well, taking care of yourself. The other one is the I insanity is really about importance. And importance is really about a sense of feeling valuable, worthy, significant, important. And then the, uh, the T is really about trust. It's about this a sense of being able to depend on something. And sometimes when you get into these health crises, you don't know what to depend on. All the things that you normally depend on just aren't available to you anymore. So what I do is that I focus on them being able to, to look for that which they really can depend on, whether that be certain uh, areas like the CDC, the NIH, the WHO, that they can have some faith and some trust that what they say is true, Right. And uh, to be able to, to, to trust that we're going to get through this. And then I go to the why. And to me, the why is really this piece that says that I'm better with you than without you. It's a yes, I'm better with you than without you. And that really is this kind of faith and this belief that I'm better with certain people around me, that I'm better with the certain agencies that I can depend on, that I'm not alone in this process, that if we do it together, that we're going to get through it. And that we're really, that we all have more in common now than we've ever had in common. A, a lot of people are, you know, at home now, right? They're, they're not leaving. I've, I've been at home for, I don't know, nine days. <laughs> I've only gone to the store once, I think. Do, do you find that there are problems arising with a lot of people, you know, from being home for so long, you know, either with their families or roommates or by themselves? And, and then are there anything that they can do to help? I know you mentioned like take going for walks and stuff already. And you know, Joey, that is one of the pieces that is the negative out of this thing is that there's so much isolation and we're human beings that are built on connection. Are there ways that people can kind of benefit from being alone right now? Are there anything that they can do to turn that around and kind of help themselves now that we do have a lot of time to ourselves? Yes. And I think that is part of what I do do with them when they find themselves really isolated and that is that this is really a great opportunity to do some good journaling, to be able to do letters, 
this opportunity that you get to be able to depend on yourself rather than having to depend on anybody else. It's a good time for you to take some good look inside. You know what I mean? Which we don't usually stop, Joey. You know how you, most of us, I'm that way. I'm as bad as anybody that I'm so concerned taking care of everybody else that I don't really focus on what I have to do to take care of myself, right? And so this has been a time for me too to stop and think and catch up with things that I normally don't ever have time, or if I do have time, I never make them important enough to get them done. Um, what advice do you have for people who may not be used to processing these uncomfortable emotions? What are some practices that they can try to use in their day-to-day -day lives to help curb these negative emotions? For some of my clients, Jasmine, I just ask them to write a letter to themselves every day about what's going on, just a letter to themselves, you know, just to write a letter, not to write into anybody, you just write it to yourself so that you can look back someday and talk about this particular period, about what it was like. Because when I'm actually writing it, I'm able to talk about some of those things I can't actually say. So sometimes writing a letter to yourself is a good way of kind of getting it out because I don't have to think about what other people are gonna think about it. Um, so my last question for you is, what final message do you have for our listeners who may be among those who are struggling mentally or emotionally during this time? I would say for those that are struggling, who find themselves worried about hurting themselves, or that are struggling to be able to keep their sense of safety in place, that that is when they reach out that they reach out to tell somebody that they're in trouble, that they're worried, that they may not be able to handle it. And that's a normal human thing. We all get to a point where we stretch ourselves to our capacity. And then some people feel, I can't take another thing. I can't do one more thing, right? And then when you get to that edge, I mean, you're not good for yourself. You're not good for your family. You're not good for your kids. You're not good for the people around you. And that's when I think you really do need to reach out. You know, call, uh, whether it be your church, get a hold of a counselor, ask a buddy if they've ever gone to a counselor and get a name of somebody that they liked or they trusted. You know, get to the point where you create your own little counseling group, right? Get three or four friends together and say, okay, let's create our own little chat. So once a day, we just come together and we just support each other. And we talk about the good, the positive rather than the negative just everything that's going well. So that I think is what I would suggest for those people who are really, really struggling, is now you really need to reach out. Or you check on your buddies, and if you think they're struggling, then you call somebody to call them, and you don't just let them leave them out there just dangling. Thank you, Dr. Limus. Uh, Joey, do you have any other questions? I, I do not, no. I think, I think uh, that probably pretty much wraps it up, but uh, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Dr. Limus. You bet, Joy. Thanks, Jasmine. Of course. I really appreciate you joining us today.
All right, uh, so we are at the last segment of the podcast, and um, you, you know, we know a lot of you guys are stuck at home. Um, you know, you should be going for walks and trying to get outside as much as you can, as long as you're practicing safe social distancing and washing your hands thoroughly. Um, but you know, we we a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands right now, and the internet is a good place to to you know learn some things or, or relax and have a good time. And so I'm here with uh, with our producer Jacob Solis, and uh, we're going to give you some of our. Uh, my favorite quarantine tips. Yeah, quarantine tips. Quarantine tips. <laughs> or quarantine tips, yes. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're doing this over Zoom. Like, that's how Jacob and I are talking right now. And uh, you probably know about Zoom already. It's been all over the news. But that's it's a great way to, to chat with friends and family, uh, just a video call. It's kind of like Skype, but it works. <laughs> I mean, this is true. Yeah, Zoom, Zoom is a good option if you need to connect for everything that's not work, too. Um, so you can do everything from a Zoom happy hour where you crack open something fizzy and just hang out with your friends, or you can do something family friendly. Joey, you got some recommendations? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, certain families might enjoy this, but the Metropolitan Opera is streaming their operas for free. Um, and so, so if you want, if you are, if you've ever been interested in opera, you can uh, you can go into the Metropolitan Opera website and watch uh, some free opera. How lovely! I've always <laughs> wanted to watch free opera myself. Though now that I have the opportunity, will I? We'll see. <laughs> and I know, Jacob, you've got some games for families to play, like over Zoom and stuff, right? Yeah, so I've got a couple options here. Uh, one of them is based off the very popular board game Codenames, um, but it's basically just online. So you and your family or your friends just hop on Zoom, load up the website Codenames.plus, and then go from there. A great way to spend a couple hours. Uh, you can also use another website called Scribble.io. That is a, a drawing app online where you try and guess uh, what your friends are drawing. Now, if you're trying to use a mouse, hilarity ensues. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, there's always lots of free online resources for learning as well. I mean, obviously, YouTube is one of them. But also, um, you know, MIT, Stanford, uh, I know Harvard, Carnegie Mellon, they all have free course, like college courses online that you can you can take or, or audit um, if you want, if you've ever been interested in a specific subject. You can also do like things like Code Academy if you want to learn coding. Um, and you can also get Google Analytics certified, which is actually a really useful thing to have on your resume. Um, it takes a couple hours, but um, yeah, Google Analytics certification, you can look that up. If you're still looking for free things to do and your friends are nerds like us here at The Independent, I wouldn't uh, look down on something like Dungeons & Dragons Online. It's been done for a long time now online. There are services like Roll20.com, which is free, or Fantasy Grounds, which is paid, but both basically allow you to use your computer as a digital tabletop for you to just roll dice with your friends and have a grand old time slaying dragons or what have you. I know that reporter Riley Snyder and I have a uh, scheduled Dungeons & Dragons session tonight on Roll20. And I am currently trying to get my own going, but scheduling is still a bugaboo right now. So. <laughs> and then I guess we'll, we'll end with a couple podcast recommendations other than us, um, which of course I know you're listening to every week, um, but maybe ones that aren't super uh, related to the news right now, kind of get your mind off of everything. Um, so if you're looking for a local podcast, uh, Van Sounds uh, is based out of Reno. It's a great podcast uh, about, about the state and about travel and music. Full disclosure, it is made by a friend of ours, and he also did the theme music for this podcast, Phil Corbett. And if you're looking for just a fun podcast, I really can't recommend Reply All highly enough. Now, now, their more recent episodes are about the coronavirus. They are based in New York. 
And they've been doing these basically Twitch call-ins where people just call and talk about it. And so that's kind of therapeutic if you want to listen to that kind of thing. But if you don't, a lot of their old episodes are gems. And specifically, there is an episode from a couple weeks ago called The Case of the Missing Hit, where they look for a song lost from time. And it is one of the best podcast episodes I've listened to in a long time. Yeah, it is. It's a fantastic episode. It's very wholesome. It's very fun. Um, but yeah, so those are, those are some recommendations. Um, if you guys want more of these, maybe we can uh, do another one next week or we can start start a newsletter or something who knows but uh we should have a newsletter there are many resources online and lots of ways that aren't netflix to keep you guys occupied that's right oh and if you do have netflix though you should watch tiger king that show makes me feel like i'm living in a normal reality right now (laughs) everyone should watch tiger king we are all joe exotic that's all i have to say yes all right well uh jacob thank you for joining me on this uh short little fun segment thank you for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Ray Gherkin, Dr. Frank Lemus, Tabitha Mueller, and Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez for being on the pod this week. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can do so by searching for Indie Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen. If you'd like to donate to us, you can find the Support Our Work page on the NevadaIndependent.com. We'd greatly appreciate anything you can afford to give during these trying times. And if you want minute-to-minute updates on the situation in the state, you can also check our website. If you have comments, criticism, or praise, you can email me at jacob at com or joey at joey at com. If you want to sponsor the podcast or an indie event, email editors at com. People with Bodies does our theme music, and you can find more of their music on Spotify or Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Next week.